0: Before you could speak, before you could eat or cook, run, swim, before you were even born, a system was put into place, a powerful system that would get stronger with repetition. When we use this system, we call it thought. Thinking creates pathways that eventually led you to be able to successfully speak, eat, run, swim. Each time you travel down a pathway, the easier it gets. Making pathways is what determine your habits, attitudes, and actions. But sometimes we form pathways to places that are destructive. Destructive habits, destructive attitudes, and destructive actions. The only way to change your path is to go back and change your thinking so that you can create positive habits, positive attitudes, positive actions. You can use this powerful system to change your life. Let's begin. So Kathy grew up loving music. She was an accomplished musician, did really well, learned fast. In fact, even began to become a composer, Uh, became known for her ability in music, uh, composed, wrote, uh, even helped out in church. And uh, that was really what her life was about. It was her passion. Uh, It was her skill. It was her way to to add value to the world. Uh, And in in the prime of her life, Kathy unfortunately developed debilitating rheumatoid arthritis. It got really bad, and Kathy could no longer play music. She could no longer create music. The the skill that she had was no longer useful. Her passion was gone, and nothing would ever be the same. Now, that may have your story, But I bet most of us have a story similar to that. I bet we have something in our lives where we started to wonder what's going on. What am I going to do? Who am I? What do I have to give? This is the reason that we are uh, kind of dusting off an oldie. Mastermind is something we came up with five years ago. And the idea was to very intentionally and deeply zoom in on one very specific topic And let's ask some good questions, and let's really wrestle with it. Now, typically we do one week at a time, but I'll tell you this is definitely a two-parter. This conversation is going on not just for these two weeks, but honestly, the intro to our series in three weeks is really the the finality of this. And so, um, if you can't be here for all three weeks, you should just leave right now. No, that's not what I mean. Um, What I mean is you're definitely going to want to tune in. And so, um, so we're going to do that with this mastermind. And and I would say I really believe this. This might be uh, one of, if not, this might be the most important message I ever preach. Uh, It it may not be the best message I ever preach, but it it really probably could be the most important. And and what if I told you that, that I actually found something that religion, science, and psychology all completely agree on? Would, you, would your mind just be blown, Yeah, what? I know, right? It would be crazy. Uh, and, and so I want to start with that because I want to, for those of you who've never done this with us, I want to give you the premise of mastermind. And here's what um, religion, science, and psychology all agree on. It's almost universal. It's really not even debated anymore. It's that this, that our lives, your life, my life, are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. That whatever our th- is going on up here, whether it's conscious or subconscious, whatever grooves we're creating, synapses, pathways in our brains that we're either reinforcing, starting, or getting on or off of, our life is moving in that direction, and it affects our our relationships, it, it affects our actions, it affects our outcomes. Um, the Bible, one of the many places the Bible addresses this in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 23 says it this, this way, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Uh, you could say she as well, or another a version says, um, as a person thinks in their heart, so do they become. I love this verse. We see that, that there's so much talked about, again, in science and, 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 and in following Jesus about what happens between our ears. Um, and, uh, and so we learn that, that what happens up here really, really matters. And so our actions then, based on this, our actions are a direct result. There's a direct line, our actions from the thoughts that we have. And so it's for this reason when Paul, the apostle, um, who experienced uh, Jesus in a very real way, had a radical transformation. Um, uh, and then his, the rest of his life basically was teaching other people who never really heard about Jesus, didn't know the Old Testament, what it was about, how to be like him in the good news of the gospel. And so he wrote a lot of letters. Many of them we put in the New Testament. One of them is the book of Ephesians as he's teaching these Greek people who didn't know Moses and didn't know the Torah and didn't know stuff. So again, if you grew up like, I don't know anything about religion, um, the Bible was written for you. The New Testament was written to people like you. It wasn't written to people who knew a lot of it. Um, and so you're in good company. Anyway, um, Paul, when he's writing in, in Ephesians chapter four, he says it this way. He's talking about how to experience the transformation, how to experience The new life that you have in Christ. He says this in Ephesians 4. He says, Let the Spirit change your way of what? Thinking. The Bible actually has a ton to say about what we think. And and somehow we've gotten this message a little bit backwards that in order for me to be a better version of myself, I need to try harder to be better. I need to power up, I need to affirm, I need to uh, put the Rocky music on, or I need to affirm affirmations in the mirror. And and again, I'm not saying there's not a place for all that, but the Bible, neither neither the Bible nor psychology is gonna say you should try harder to be better. If you want to have different outcomes, if you want to experience different behavior, if you want to have different actions, it all starts in the same place. It starts with what happens in our mind. And the the hard part for us, I think, is because we live in a culture and the pace that we live in, we never stop and actually think about what we're thinking about. We don't really take time to process and journal and contemplate. We don't have margin or gaps uh, to to, to do those things. And so the reason this matters is because um, the whole story of the church, the story of the New Testament is is the same message from Jesus, uh, John the Baptist, and Peter themselves, they all showed up and they had the same message. And it was this message, repent for a better kingdom is here. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. Now, we've kind of not done that word repent justice. We've kind of made it uh, this kind of heavy handed, um, you should stop that. That's kind of what, if you grew up, a lot of you, if you grew up in a church, it was like, you should stop that and you're bad and God hates you and you'll probably go to hell anyway. Um, uh, we, a lot of you, I don't know way too many people who grew up under that. That's actually not what repent means at all. It's not like stop that. The word repent in the Greek is a, is a uh, combination of two words. It's this word metanoeo, not that you need to know that. But the meta is where we get the word metamorphosis. It's where we get the idea of, of change. And it's not just like tweak, it's transformation. Think caterpillar to butterfly, um, this is the promise, by the way, we have. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we surrender to him, there's a promise of a metamorphosis, a transformation that the old is gone, the new has come. We get that meta there, but the other part, noel, is actually understanding or what you think or what you know or your perception. And so Jesus, John the Baptist, and Peter all had the same invitation was, I want to compel and inspire you to change how you think because if we just talk about behavior, it's a fool's errand. We we all know we can, we know now we know you're a psychologist Beha- behavior modification does it work not really no we got to start here right right doc we got to start here and so it's crazy that the Bible said this stuff two thousand years before modern science and psychology like hey um, maybe we should start with what we think and what we put in is is imported into that and so. I'm um, so uh, uh, direct our life, repenting is a, uh, a repentance, is to reconsider, to rethink or shift your perspective on something. And so here's what all of them would agree, and this is why this matters so much. And here's the heart and the essence of mastermind. I'm not going to do this again next week, but I realize this is new for so many of us. And so the idea is that what we think dictates how we feel. How we feel dictates how we act or behave, and then we live out of our actions and our behaviors. So if I want to live better, if I want to act differently, I don't try harder to be better. I actually have to start paying attention to what's going on in my mind, and I have to think differently and think better. We did a whole series on this last January called Mind Games. If you're like, tell me more, we did like four weeks deep, deep dive. But that's essentially the idea is, if there's, if you, if there's any area of your life, I'm like, I want better outcomes, it's probably not just powering up to try harder. The problem probably is there's something wrong in our thinking and we have a pathway that's deeply grooved in our brain that we gotta teach our thoughts to get off that road and start a newer, better one. That's all I'm gonna say about that. So with all that said, and I just so appreciate that you trust me so much, you're just taking my word for all this. Um, But the important question then to ask, if, if our life is moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts then i think we owe it to ourselves to have a conversation about the question where are my thoughts taking me are they taking me to bad momville are they taking me to loserville are they taking me to here we go againville are they taking me to no one's ever gonna love meville are they taking me to i'm still known by my biggest failureville are they taking me to i'm weirdville are they or are they taking to dearly lovedville uh, more than a conquerorville? Where, where are? I just made that whole thing up. I think that's brilliant. By the way, that's not in my notes. I'm loving this. I'm like, all I have is the Dr Pepper commercial, like Fanville. Like maybe your thoughts are taking you there. Um, where are? But because this is an unavoidable reality that your thoughts are taking you somewhere. And so, why do I say that this is so important? Because I would say this among the most important thoughts that we will ever have in the direction our life is taking us are the thoughts that we have about ourselves. The only thought I think that you have more important than that is what you think about God. And A.W. Tozer agrees with me. And the only reason I think that is Tozer said it and I believe it. But what we think about ourselves, this is the bottom line. This is everything right here. And this is wordy, but I want you to get this. What we think about ourselves informs our approach and our outlook to every decision we make and every relationship we have. You are making decisions and living out relationships based on your perspective and view of yourself. So the good news is, if you have an accurate view, truth-based view of yourself, you're going to make great decisions and you're going to have fulfilling relationships. The bad news is If you have a inappropriate, poor, not good, not truth-filled, believe somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about view of you, you're probably going to find yourself on a pattern on repeat of making not amazing decisions and not having fulfilling relationships. I'm not going to say you're a fool, and I'm not going to say they're all toxic, although There's a case to be made for that direction to be headed. But in in any case, you're not going to experience great decisions and great relationships. Why? Because you are living in a false sense of yourself and your inside out view of the world, you have glasses, you have filters, you have fog on, and it is incorrect. And it's literally affecting your ability to make decisions and experience relationships. There's a a famous quote, it's in philosophy. I'm gonna paraphrase it, but uh, one uh, famous quote says this, it ain't the name you're called but it's the name you go by, right? You've heard the verse, it it's not what your name is, but what you answer to, right? Well, when you came in, and if you're online, which, first of all, we love that you're online. Also, if you're out in the courtyard, we're super happy to have you as well. But we came in, we all got a name tag. And, I, and we just said, hey, you wanna participate? We, we got a name tag, right? We've all been to the event where you walk in, everybody's a stranger, you don't know anybody. And it's like, hey, put your name on it, right? Most of us put our name on it. This is how I do my name. I always make a smiley face in the O because what you need to know about me is you get a little extra with me. Uh, and uh, so I feel like I'm just telling you a little more than just the four letters, um, and so we're gonna get back to these in just a second. But, uh, but, but the reason we have a name tag is the, uh, kind of the original name tag was what you see behind me is the, hello, my name is. And so I think that one of the most important questions that we can not only answer, but continue to answer, continue to wrestle with, and we really never graduate from is this question. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Because you're going to have A 1,000 different opportunities to answer that 10,000 different ways. And you're going to be given the opportunity to use all kinds of descriptors. Many of them are not bad, but they are not your identity. And the number one goal of the enemy of your soul is to strip your identity from you. He does not want you to know who you are, whose you are, and what you can walk in. And he's really good at it, and he's keeping a whole bunch of people who say they follow Jesus in slavery because they don't know who they are. And so you have a name tag. We, we, we're just doing it this week. We're having a little fun. If you wanna wear a name tag every week, that's fine. You can do that. We're not gonna ask you to, but you have a name tag. Now, here's what's interesting. Most of you probably wrote your own name. Um, I'm sure we've all done the thing where we do the drive through or the coffee bar and we use somebody else's name. Or, you know, in high school, it was like, you know, some name that was just funny to hear somebody say. Uh, probably shouldn't have done that. Um, but we all came in, most of us have, you know, name. name. You know, I see, I see name tags, Sean and John and Ron and Kathy. Uh, mine says Corey. Um, and so we all have a word and it's, it's, it's the who are you? And that one word is your name. But here's what I know to be true. And you know it too. There's a whole lot under that word. There's a whole lot. There's a big story to that word. There's a, a family that you were born to. There's an ethnicity you belong to. There's an economic status you did or didn't grow up in. There are all kinds of other people's interpretation of who you were in grade school, middle school, high school, college, your first job. There are versions of your story that you were valued highly or not by the opposite gender at really key points of your emotional and physical development that made you feel like you were or weren't a good guy or girl. There's a whole lot under there's a there's a backstory. There are preferences. There are choices you made, and there are choices other people made that affected you. And so, when you write your name, that's a that's a novel. That's an encyclopedia in and of itself. But here's something crazy to consider: what if what if when we walked, what if when we walked in, we said, "Hey, here's a name tag," but don't write your name. We'd actually rather you write uh, how you see yourself. How much different would that be? How we see, not what your name is. Because sometimes it's easy, I'm Corey. Well, tell me about about yourself. Well, see, now I get to pick what I tell you, what I don't. I get to pick the story, I get to pick the narrative. But how much of it do I believe is true? How much of it do I want you to know? What are the thoughts we have? More importantly, this, you find out really quick in life that, and it's never gonna change, that people are constantly trying to put labels on you. And the more they try to put labels on you, here's what's going to start to happen. You're going to start to put some on yourself, too. Either to go against labels that have been put on you or to agree with labels that have put on you. And this is the journey of life. It's why I think this is one of the most important discussions. And I think that it's one of the most important questions, the who am I questions. But what if, what if most of the problems we're having in our life, our inability to, to get along with our spouse, our relational just tension, um, our inability to reach goals, the, some of the same patterns that are destructive that we keep repeating, repeating ourselves. What if the majority of our problems we had in our life are because we don't really know who we are? Because I actually think that's what's going on. I think the majority of the problems that we experience in our personal life can be boiled down to the fact that we don't really know our true identity. And I know there's a big conversation happening about it, and I'm like one of the few people that's not surprised because it's not a new conversation. We just pick different things to focus on throughout history and each culture, but it's always gonna be something that's highlighted. But we've been having the conversation about who we are and who gets to pick that, and is it a choice? That's not a new conversation. It's been that way since the garden. If you've traveled the world, if you've studied history, this is, this is just chapter 27,000 that's been going on forever. What if... What if we could change the wrong thoughts we have about ourselves to the right thoughts? What would that lead to? Our, how, how would that affect our feelings and then our actions, our behavior, uh, even the way we go after dreams, the way we uh, accomplish, the way we go to work, the purpose we feel, uh, the relationship fulfillment we felt in all of our friendships? See, I told you about Kathy, how um, she was known for music. She was a composer and at the prime of her life, it was stripped away from her. Well, Kathy was kind of a unique individual. What made her unique is... is her, as good as she was at composing, as good as, as much as her life revolved around music, that her identity wasn't Kathy the musician. Because somewhere along her journey of life, she began to understand, was introduced this idea that she's Kathy, the most loved daughter of the creator of the universe. And that was her identity. And so when she got rheumatoid arthritis, she didn't lose her identity because she lost the thing that identified her to most people. She knew who she was. She knew that more important than any skill she had, any gift she had been given, any passion or anything she did, she was God's dearly loved daughter. And so what she did is in her 50s found another way to add value. And so she went back to school, got a degree in biblical counseling, got ordained as a minister and helped people and introduced people to Jesus in a very different way that was not a part of the first half of her life because who she was dictated the outcomes of her life and what she did, not what she did dictated who she was. But unfortunately there are so many of us that are not like Kathy. We're confused about our purpose. We're confused about our identity. We have so many labels being slapped on us. Some we've given ourselves, as I mentioned, some other people have. And, and I said a minute ago that quote that it's not about your name, it's about what you go by or what you let people call you. Some of us, we've let relationships determine our name. Some of us, we've let circumstances Determine our name. Some of us have let a common narrative from the area or region we grew up determine our name. It's what we know, it's the label, it's the weirdo, it's the dropout, it's the average student, it's the not good enough, it's the looking for love in all the wrong places, whatever the case may be. But the question that I think is important for all of us as we have this conversation is, what are the names that we feel stuck that are attached to us like gum on the bottom of our shoe? That we didn't ask for it, we weren't looking for it, but I can't shake it, I can't shrug it because those are the ones that... I believe that we need to pay attention to. And again, the good news is there's an opportunity to swap those out. But the names that you, the, the names that you allow to label you often determine the, the title of the script of your life. And so that's why we gotta make sure we get this thing right, because this thing is, is the title of the chapter and it is the script of your life. And here's the craziest part, and this is why this so matters. All the labels you have, all the scripts being written, all the narratives, all the labels you've been handed, it doesn't even matter if they're true. What matters is if you believe it. Because most of them aren't. But that doesn't matter. What matters is you still believe it anyway. Because, again, we've covered this in our mind games, that a lie that is believed as truth will affect your life as though it were true. So it's actually not about is it true, it's about what's going on in here, What's going on in here? It's why when God, um, by the way, the, Testament, the whole Old Testament is kind of the whole, there's like, it's like the story of God's people who continue to forget their identity. Like it's the whole story. And so one of the many places that God addresses this is through the prophet Hosea. And God says in Hosea chapter four, he says, my people, they are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. What he's saying is that, uh, that our lack of understanding, our lack of getting um, our mind right is going to uh, be the downfall of us. And so we've all heard the story, you know what? What you know what you don't know can't hurt you. Well, I would say that what you don't know absolutely can hurt you. It can make you spiritually poor. It can ultimately destroy you. Uh, it can do a lot of damage. It makes me think of maybe you've heard the story of a man named Mr. Yates. This happened in the time of the Depression, about a hundred years ago. Um, uh, Mr. Yates was a. a, a not wealthy to begin with. And then you add the depression. He had uh, farmland in West Texas. He took care of sheep, um, scraping by, could barely afford to put food and clothes on the table to take care of his kid, the, dep- the kids already, the depression hits and he has no money. He doesn't know how he's gonna take care of his family. Um, and at the end of the year, again, during the depression, taxes come due. In fact, the taxes were so minor, uh, minor, they were so minuscule, but he had no way to pay the taxes. They were gonna strip his land. He didn't know how he was gonna provide for his family. Um, and as the, was about to for, uh, the bank was about to foreclose and, and bankrupt him and, and take his land, uh, um, some oil, oil drillers came to his land and said, hey, we've been doing some research. We think there might be some oil on your land. Do you mind if we drill? He's like, well, I'm probably gonna lose the land anyway, whatever, yeah, go ahead. Well, they no sooner than started drilling on his land, only went a few feet deep and hit the largest oil reserve known at that point in North America. 80,000 barrels a day were just feet below the surface of the property where he was scraping the peanuts and barely feeding his kids. Overnight, Yates became a billionaire. Or did he? Here's my question. Did Mr. Yates become a billionaire when they struck oil? Or did Mr. Yates become a billionaire when he bought the property? He became a billionaire when he bought the property but he had no idea what was inside. He had no idea what was underneath. So rather than live as a billionaire to save his region and help his family and provide and add value, he lived impoverished. And the thing that breaks my heart as a pastor, I don't, I don't get mad, it breaks my heart, is there's a bunch of Mr. Yates Christians walking around that we don't know what we have inside. When God calls you his dearly loved son and daughter, the, the fact that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that he thought of you before the, the world was even created, that you are more than a conqueror, that you are forgiven, you are dearly loved, that you don't have to achieve his love, that you can't lose. When we don't understand that, we, I feel like we have so many of us that we're living in spiritual poverty, we're, we're scraping for peanuts. And I feel like God is like, don't you know who you are? Don't you know who I am and who you are to me? That's the picture of too many Christians. And so our problem is we have all of these labels that are trying to identify us. Now, again, not all labels are bad. In fact, I would say many of them are good. But here's, the, here's where we gotta be careful with the labels. Labels and, and name tags, they can describe us, but they should never define us. Come on, somebody. You may have been through a hard time but that doesn't mean that, that hard times follow. You may have failed. It doesn't mean you're a failure. You may have lied. It doesn't mean you're a liar. You may have had uh, substance abuse problems, but you don't have to wear the label of an addict the rest of your life, right? So I, so I was thinking, like what are, what are some of, like, what are some of my labels? And, and, and if we could do this, like, put a picture. I wanted to just do this for a minute. Like, I have lots of labels. I'm, first of all, um, I'm Rebecca's husband, That's been going almost 20 years. That's going well. Um, I'm Blake and Madison's dad. That's a label I wear. Um, I'm a pastor. Um, Don't tell people, but I am. Uh, I'm a pastor. I'm a Husker fan. That's a great label. Let's put that in the middle. Um, Let's see what other labels. I pick mostly good ones. I'm a golfer. Some days. Um, I'm a wannabe CrossFitter. I go. It hurts, and it's, and I'm not good at it, but I go. Let's see, another label. I'm middle class, um, according to st- data. Um, I almost graduated college. That's a nice way of putting dropout. Um, <laughs> but I went way more than one or two or three or four or five or six semesters, so it's like not so much a dropout. So I have all these labels. This is just a few. I could pick a bunch. Now, I have a bunch of other. I, I have a bunch of failures I could put on here. Um, I was uh, the weird kid growing up. I was high energy. Uh, my mouth was always getting me in trouble. I know you guys cannot, like, believe that. Um <laughs> And I actually promised you, you don't want to miss the second part of that story because something happened that changed my life forever. And I think my story might have the same impact on you, but you have to come next week. Um, And so I have all these. I have a whole bunch of other ones I could do. I've I've made mistakes. I've failed. I I have regrets. I I, I mean, I've been arrested a couple times, both well after I was saved and in ministry. Um, So those are labels. Um, Yeah, great stories for another time. Uh, One was, I think, my bachelor party, but it wasn't what you think at all. I was heading to mini golf. Um, uh, Yeah, true story. So um, it's not even that great of a story. It sounds a million times better than it was. You got... You got arrested at your bachelor party when you were a pastor? Yeah, I was driving to mini golf. Um, so, and that was like the height of the night. Um, I have all these labels, but these are descriptors. And, and this, is, this is the part where we have to understand and we have to, to decide when it comes to who I am, I decide what's most important. So the question I would ask you is how do you see yourself when somebody says, tell me about yourself? You get to pick, what do you say? I mean, again, there's nothing, most of these aren't bad but this isn't my truest identity. These, these help form and inform who I am, but this isn't my identity. What's your identity? What's your measuring tape for success? See, we all find ourselves in these situations, and I have a fun little clip, where we get to pick what we want people to know about us. And I think often it says a lot about what we want people to know. It also says a lot about what we don't want people to know. Um, I know not everybody loves The Office, uh, but many of your Office fans. Um, one of my favorite parts is season three, when we meet this new guy named Andy, who so bad appears, wants to appear secure, but when we meet him, it's pretty clear he's not. Big Tuna is a super ambitious guy, you know, cut your throat to get ahead type of guy. But, I mean, I'm not threatened by him. I went to Cornell. You ever heard of it? <laughs> I graduated in four years. I never studied once. I was drunk the whole time, and I sang in the acapella group, Here Comes Treble. But so what does he want you to know about him? I went to a big deal school. My parents came from money. I'm good at music and I don't even have to study to graduate, right? Like he's trying to sound like, oh, I'm a big deal. But again, you've been around very long. You're like, oh, okay. And they nail his character. It only gets worse if you follow his character. But that's so many of us. We get to pick. What do we say? And and, and again, we've all had those moments where you're like, oh, if I could have that back, I definitely wouldn't have said that. I have, uh, again, some of those moments as well. But, but how do you see yourself? How do you introduce yourself? See, there's so many things that are gonna fight to not just be a descriptor, but an identity. I'll just list some really, really quick. Income social status. Some of us, that, that's a, a security issue for us. Mean, typically, we typically describe ourselves in the things that we think are the most interesting, that we think are the most important, or add the most value to our, our, our identity. And so, some of us, that social status, or it's income or acceptance. Some of us, it's the part of town you grew up in or live in, or the home or homes you own. For some people, it's the type of vehicle you drive. um, On both sides, Uh, some of us, it's the type of clothes we wear, and even where we got them or where you know what it says on them. For some of us, it's looks or appearance or you know body fat percentage or whatever. You don't need to look around when I say that. For some of us, our identity is wrapped up in our education, our intelligence, our our academia. For some of us, it's popularity, fame, notoriety, followers, influencer, whatever the case may be. Some of us, it's pedigree, your upbringing, your family name. For some of us, far too many people that I've seen working with teenagers and young people for almost 20 years is it's through our children. It's their school, their activities, and their achievements. And somehow we are trying to overcompensate for all the things we didn't do or didn't like about ourselves through them, And we have, I believe, America, and I believe the church has a little bit of an identity crisis. But here's your true identity. And this information can change your life. But it can't if it just stays information. It has to become a revelation that leads to transformation. And your identity, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, your identity is that you are a child of God. You are a child of God. I forgot. The most important label I have is child of God. I'm gonna put it right here for a second. So I told you I was extra. I'm not gonna leave it here, don't worry. But, but I wanna make a point. When the fact that you are the daughter or the son of the most powerful force of the universe that created and operates through love that before he spoke planets into existence, he thought about how, when, and who you should be born to, did it on purpose, for a purpose, and has the same power that he spoke planets into existence is the same power he has to love you. And there's nothing you'll ever be able to do to make him love you more. He, he, <laughs> your achievements, I have good and bad news for you, are not like amazing to him. It's like, hey, I got first place. He's like, I spoke planets into existence. But here's why that matters. Because also, your failures, he, there's nothing you could do to make him love you less. When you understand that this label is your identity, that it never changes, it can't be taken away from you. This is the only label I have on me that can't be taken away from me. My family can be taken away from me. My money can be taken away from me. My title can be taken away from me. My relationships, I could, my, my kids could die. I could get divorced. I could get fired. I could lose money. I mean, right, you... The only real security you have is something that can't change and something that nobody can take away from you. And the only thing I've found is the most powerful force in the universe who says, you are my beloved and there's nothing you can do about it other than I'll give you the right to run from me, but I'm gonna chase you down with my love anyway. That's that is where ultimate identity and security lie. And for too many of us, it's like, that is, and I, I don't mean to, to, to knock it, but it's a clapping moment, but it's not a reality when we walk to work on Monday. And I, that was my story for 25 years. I heard this truth and I'm like, that's good. And then I walked around wishing I could be anybody else, hating who I was. And it wasn't until some pretty massive transformation happened to me with this, where all of a sudden, I, there's such... A freedom. There's such a security in just knowing that you are deeply and dearly loved because if you reject me, no offense, a way bigger being thinks I'm pretty awesome. Like so awesome that he went out of his way to create me. And you can be hung up on all my dysfunctions and all that, but you can take it up with my dad because he likes it. Because if he didn't, he wouldn't have given it to me. Now, him and I've had lots of conversations like, you're going to need to tame it down a little bit, son. You need to steward that. You need to leverage that, you know. My teachers in middle school didn't super appreciate all my gifts he gave me, but I hadn't learned how to use them yet. But when that becomes a reality, changes everything. And I want, and your heavenly father wants you to walk in that. And so let me give you a couple of quick thoughts. I want to give you some scripture. I want you to see, like in the Bible, because this is everything. Let me give you a couple of thoughts. How do I know where I'm at? There's a question and kind of a symptom you can look at, symptoms of, of wrong identity. One of the most important questions to ask, like how am I doing walking my identities to ask this question is this. Does who I am determine what I do or does what I do determine who I am? Does who I am determine how I go about relationships, how I approach my job, how I approach life? who's valuable or does what I do determine who I am the problem with this is this changes all the time this is the answer is that you're spent, you're, you are meant to live out of a cup overflowing, a fully loved, fully secure in the Father's love, the love, the, the Psalm 139 that that uh, that says, uh, that he dances over us, that says that that more than the, the sand on the shore and more than the stars in the sky, he thinks about us and greater his thoughts to us that we couldn't even comprehend or, 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 or imagine how good his thoughts are to us. And so, we have to wrestle with this question. And for too many of us, we're defined like, oh, I'm his you know, wife, I'm, I'm this person, I'm this business's CEO, I'm this community's so-and-so, or I'm this neighborhoods, whatever, I'm the school clown, or I'm the captain of this, or I'm the whatever it is. And, and while those things are, they're, they're not evil in and of themselves, they were never meant to be our identity. Do you hear, hear my heart? And so one of the greatest symptoms of wrong identity, and, and, it, and it's a plague even in the church, is insecurity. Insecurity is just simply wrong security. It's you're putting your security in something that can't make you feel secure. We, we, have, um, we have so many insecure people, again, Andy, going like, ah, oh, I went to this school and I'm, I can handle my alcohol. not And I, whatever the case may be. And, and you, can tell, you can tell when somebody's just secure in who they are, that they're comfortable in their own skin. They know that they're deeply loved. They know that they're dearly loved and they don't really need anything from you. The only way you can really add value on a high level to the world around you is to get sustained by something else so you can add value to the people in your world. Otherwise, you're gonna just be taking because you're gonna be so emotionally bankrupt that, the, that the, the, the world that you're meant to add value to is the one that you're trying to draw from. And the problem is they're doing the same thing. What if there was the most powerful force in the universe could it be like, I got you and I got you and I got you and I got you and I got you, now just go overflow on each other. That's amazing. And so the solution is, how do we find right security? I think to find identity, two things that I already mentioned, it's something that won't change and can't be taken from you. It's, I am a child of God. Why does this matter? John, Jesus says this in John chapter eight. Let me give you some scripture. Let me show you some word as we start to land the plane. Um, John chapter, uh, yeah, John chapter eight. verse To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you continue my word, you are my disciples indeed. Verse 32, so important. Then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You wanna be free? It doesn't say you can make up your own rules and make the world bow to your, right. no. It says you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. What's the truth? You are a son or a daughter of the most loved God. And you can't go very many pages in the Old Testament without God continuing to remind me, you're my child, you're my child, you're my child. And for, uh, this is a, such a complicated discussion, I know, because for some of you are like, please, anything but that, because you have a terrible experience with one or both of your parents. Well, God is not your mom and God is not your dad. He is bigger and better than all of it. And so for that, there's, again, that's why we have pastors and counselors and discipleship. But to understand that you are a child of God, there's nowhere you can go that, that can be that, that can be taken away from you. John says it. He says, as many received him, he gave the right to be children of God. John 1. 1 John chapter 3, he said, What manner of love the Father bestowed on us that we would be called children of God? Romans, he says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Galatians says, we are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 6 says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. You're God's child, you're God's child, you're God's child. But what does that mean? Here's here's the hard part. I wish I could tell you that now that I've told you the truth, you come out, I say a magic prayer, we have a little altar moment, and it's resolved. You're good, like, let's go. You'll be trained forever. Here's the truth. I'm, I always tell the truth. We always tell the truth here. This is a process. It's a little bit of a grueling process sometimes. You have to wrestle this out. No one can do this for you. I can't preach it to you. Uh, only like you have to go do the process yourself. And what's the process? Paul, again, in that same scripture I was telling you in Ephesians 4, he describes the process. In, in verse 22, uh, the same portion we started with, Ephesians 4.22 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires. Um, and then verse 23 says, be made new in the attitude of your, change the way you think. And then verse 24 says this, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul is actually, he's talking about, it's almost like the way we live. It's like, by the end of the day, you're gonna get dirty, so you gotta change and put new clothes that are clean on again. Like we literally have to do this on a regular basis, what's my old self? I'm not a failure, I'm not a loser, I'm not what my eighth grade teacher said, I'm not what all my friends said, I'm not what all my ex-girlfriends said, I'm not what all the girls who said no to prom said, I'm not what my boss said, I'm not what the coworkers are saying, I'm not what Facebook said, I'm not putting off my old self. Dirty. It's like living in Florida, every 10 minutes we get sweaty and we have to change, like old self off, old self off, and then we gotta put a new self on. What's the new self? It's all the scriptures in the word of God where you create new pathways in your mind and you walk it out. I'm not talking name it, claim it garbage. I'm talking new pathways, new synapses on your mind where you start to groove a path and you start walking a different way. It's a process. And it comes by spending time in the word and praying and go, God, I'm honest enough to know that these are all the things I identify myself as and I don't feel like this, but I wanna know that you love me just because and I don't have to achieve it Achieve it, and you're not holding my failures and I don't feel that way and I'm mad that I don't because I know the truth and I've heard it, but I don't feel it and I don't live it, so ah, help me. That's what I prayed for like a bunch of years in a row. There's nothing like amazing about that until something changed for me. But one place you start, Paul in another letter to the Corinthians, he said, here's where you start. You gotta start paying attention to what's going on in here. He says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, we have to destroy the arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. So we have to get good at recognizing thoughts that go against who God says we are. That's the old self. We put it off. Then we have to put on the new self, the new self. What's the new self? What if I told you that I have a word document, pages document, six pages long, 12 point, that have scriptures about who you are as his son and daughter. That's where you start. Now I don't have time to give you all of them, but I wanna give you a snapshot of just the tip of the iceberg. Here are the things when you open the Bible and read it for yourself and the word becomes alive and and, and gets into your soul. Here's the things you're gonna find, that, that you are a new person in Christ, that you are valuable, that you are chosen, that you are forgiven, that you are enough, that you are strong that you are a conqueror, that you are wonderfully made, that you are an heir of God. This is what's true about you, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, amen, that's worth clapping about. But ultimately, it doesn't matter if this is true. It matters if you believe it, because a lie believed as true will be lived out as though it was true. And so this can be true, but we're, ah, but God, I I don't know that I'm valued. I don't know that I'm chosen, but I don't feel like I'm chosen. Of course you don't, because for 27 years, thoughts have gone the other direction, said not chosen, not chosen, not chosen, and experienced said not chosen, not chosen, and our thoughts dictates our feelings, and our feelings dictates our actions. And so if our thoughts for 27 years say we haven't, I don't feel, of course you don't feel that way. So change your feelings. Oh, that's hard. Trust me, I know, I've done it. It's freaking hard. Well, how'd you do it? I had to change the way I think. That's even harder. How'd you do that? I started taking captive all my thoughts, and I started taking off the old self, and I started putting on the new self. It's not rocket science. It's not a big mystery. It's just hard, and it's not sexy, so nobody wants to do it. But once you get tired of being where you are, you'll do it. Once you get tired of the same pattern and the same stuff, like, ah, I want a better marriage. I want better for my kids. I want, I want more meaningful relationships. I want to make better decisions. I want to get out of this pattern. You'll, you'll start to do the work. When the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, you'll change. We've talked about that too. That's who you are. And so for some of us, this is an invitation. And again, we're out of time, so this is just part one. But here's where you start. What are the thoughts? Where are my thoughts taking me? For some of us, you owe it to yourself to probably start doing your descriptors, and it just starts like this. I'm not going to stop being almost a college graduate. That's a funny one to start with. I'm not going to stop being a Husker fan ever. I'm not going to stop being middle class. Well, I'd love to stop. I have. There's an improvement to be made. I'm not going to stop anytime soon being a pastor. I'm, I don't plan on stopping being Blake and Madison's dad. I don't plan on, stop being Rebecca's husband. Want to be cross-fair, I can take it or leave that one. I'll put that on the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) These things can still be true about me. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Just make sure you get the most important one on top. Well, I'm a child of God, I'm not. No, I'm still Blake's dad and I'm still Rebecca's husband. I'm still your pastor, but that's descriptors. This is my identity. I'm a son of the most loved God, the creator of the universe, the most powerful (laughs) force of the universe. And so, if you hurt me, it will hurt a little bit. And if you reject me, if I like you, it'll hurt a little bit. But it's not gonna tank me because my, my status, my value, and my identity is never in question because I refuse to give you that much power in my life. Only he gets to hold that kind of power. And I'm willing to do the work every day, take my thoughts captive, loser, failure, failure, addict. Here we go again. No, in the name of Jesus, we're not doing that. No, Corey, that's not who you are. Who who am I? I'm chosen. I'm a child of God. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm dearly loved. I'm an heir of God. I'm strong. I'm chosen. I don't feel it. Well, forget your feelings. Get better thoughts to get better feelings. And that's going to be a thing to stop. You're going to leave here amped. You're going, I'm going to do it. And then Monday you're like, this is dumb. It's going to feel dumb. It's going to feel weird. You ready for change though? You ready to walk in your identity? Who you do, is does what you do determine who you are? Is who you are determine what you do? Let, imagine what our lives would look like if we started walking around as deeply, dearly, secure, loved, dear sons and daughters, and we didn't start taking from the world around us because everything we needed, we got from our Father, so we were just value adders and givers. By the way, that was the vision of the church. Seek me and you'll find me. Let me fill you. That's the promise of God. So we're out of time. This is just part one. Next week, I think, is even better. I really hope you're gonna make it because this is too important. And this is too important for us to just walk out and be like, "Ah, oh, it's a good message. You know my response in my head anytime somebody tells me that is, by the way? We'll see. Because I don't care about entertaining you. I want God to transform your life. It's the only reason I do this. And so if you take it and you wrestle with it and you apply it and you pray it and you talk with your spouse and you talk with your friends and you have conversation with your kids and be like, hey, we're gonna do this and we're, we're gonna change some inputs because they're leading to some thoughts that are no good. And we're going to change some outputs and we're going to take some thoughts. Captain, we're going to some old self. We're going to take off a new self. Well, I don't know where should I start? Bible. Just start the Bible. In fact, like, I don't know where to start the Bible. Email my office. We'll help you. Nobody can do this for you. That's where the rubber meets the road. I can't pray this. I can't pray this into you. There's no magic dust from heaven. You got to do it. You got to do it. And so I'm going to say a prayer, but I hope to ignite uh, 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 something inside of you that goes, I gotta do this. We gotta, we gotta take off our old self and we gotta walk in the fullness of my identity as a child of God. Last thing I'll say is this. I don't have time to get into it, but the Bible talks about adoption into sonship and daughtership. Um, in the Roman empire, um, only those um, heir, uh Romans of of prominence could adopt and you had to forego your old identity and you got the new identity, but you got the whole, you got all the the, the name and you got the uh, inheritance and it was a really, really big deal. And that's the type of adoption that the Bible talks about how God adopted us because of what Jesus freely did for us on the cross. So if you've never heard anything like this and you've never had a relationship with Jesus, you're like, how do I do this? You've already, the adoption papers are already there. You just have to be willing to say, I'm in. He already paid the price and he wants to adopt you. You just by faith have to say, I wanna surrender my life and I wanna become uh, a follower of Jesus. And it's as simple as a prayer in your heart. I'm gonna say like a a super short prayer. And as I pray it, um, you can just in your heart go, I wanna be your son and your daughter. We call it being saved or born again. We saw hundreds of people do it last year. We'd love to join you in the family of God. Um, And we've made it really easy to connect with us. There'll be a text code uh, after we pray. You just text that on the way out and we'll help follow up with you. Um, But I just wanna pray for you. And I wanna believe that this weekend is gonna start... um, some change for some of us to start to walk in our identity. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you, God, that you call us your sons and daughters, so undeserved. I pray, God, that this would not just be a message we hear, but we would walk out of this, this door, these doors, we'd walk out of this room, um, and that we would start to do the work, that we would start to pay attention to our thoughts, that we would take off the old self, we'd put on the new self, that we would uh, uh, evaluate our inputs. And God, I pray for for um, everybody. They would just feel um, um, just power from your Holy Spirit to do this. Uh, If there's anybody ready to say yes to you, Jesus, and become a part of your family, we pray that right now by faith as they're making that decision in your heart that all of heaven is celebrating and that that this transformation is real, that they would experience all that you have for them. Um, God, watch over us, protect us, and help us to uh, walk in our true identity this week. In Jesus' name, amen.